Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. And so tonight, going to continue our study as I use creeds and confessions as springboards to talk about important doctrinal subjects, and then maybe also, you know, even talk about doctrinal subjects we we agree, may agree with, may disagree with, um, you know, and, and we just wrestle with it because obviously we, we, there's brothers and sisters in Christ that, that we disagree about some points of doctrine on secondary or third tier issues. And, um, you know, we have what we believe and then, you know, what they believe and it, it's okay. It's not a salvation issue. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the important thing is, um, you know, the important things, and, th- and that's Jesus Christ. And we have a God who is good, and, and we do have a God who is sovereign. You know, I talked on Sunday about, you know, just with all this darkness, it's easy, it would be easy to just kind of give up and say, you know, there's so much evil in the world, I, I just want to get through life as comfortably as I can and then kind of skate along. But um, I mean, we can't, there's just no way to do that. Uh, but we do have a God who, who is still in control. It doesn't matter what wickedness is going on uh, in the world. And it's not just even the, the big things. So you, you probably he- have heard the phrase that the devil is in the details. And so I had looked it up on the internet, and we, we know that everything that you find on the internet is true, right? But I'm like, where, what in the, where in the world did that come from? Why is the devil in the details? I mean, but it, it, I think if, if I remember, remember correctly, it, it, it came from Germany, but that was not the original saying. The original phrase was God is in the details. You know, isn't that just like the devil trying to steal from God again? something, you know, and used to be that God was in the details, but now the devil's in the details. No, uh, God is in the details. Now, obviously, the, the, the meaning of the phrase itself is, is that the, the details of a certain matter are just as important as kind of the whole. It's not just the big picture that matters, but even the smaller details matter. And, and honestly, this is true, and it's biblical, that God is in the details. Because we might wrongly think that, you know, okay, God has his overall plan of redemption. God's in charge of the overall plan of redemption. But, you know, whatever happens in the smaller stuff, well, you know, that's just kind of stuff that happens on its own or stuff that, that we do. But God's not in the details. I mean, God's over the big picture, but God's not in the details. We might, we might think, yeah, God has the overall thing going on, the picture. But the, the small stuff, the minutiae, that's kind of left up to chance. I mean, sometimes if we're not careful, we could almost fall into a fatalism. Well, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, God takes care of the big, important things, we might think. But, you know, the more mundane things, you know, that's kind of just left up in the air. God doesn't care about that. Well, if we think that, we're thinking wrongly. God has control and interest 
over it all. Does he has control and interest over the big picture? He has interest and control over the small details that um, go with it. And, and so using creeds and confessions to kind of tackle important doctrinal beliefs, I've been using the second London Baptist Confession as of late, you know, week after week, just to use it as a, a springboard. And I want to tackle some of the subjects that chapter three um, of the confession touches on. And, you know, tonight's topic is important, and I don't think it's overly controversial. Um, you know, uh, the next time I, I, I jump on this chapter, uh, you know, there, there, there's some things that we, we might disagree with, with them, one another, you know, there, there's just some things in there that we might not fully adhere to. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and tread, tread through that um, when it comes. But, you know, we just want to follow what, what Scripture says. Um, but tonight I want to talk about God's decrees. God has a decree. God has a plan. God has an eternal will. He has a purpose. He's moving his creation to fulfill that will, to fulfill the purpose that he has. And, and we note what I was talking about earlier. It's not only the overall picture that, that God decrees, but God moves in the small details as well. And, 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 you know, being in the small details, it, 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 it includes us. It includes our lives. You know, I don't want us to look at this as some sort of, oh, how do I want to put it? You know, okay, yeah, that's good for theology and that's good for what's happening in history. But, you know, then there's me and, and my life. But that's the thing. God is moving even in the small details of your life because God has a purpose for you, for me. We have a part in his overall plan. We have a part in his plan of uh, redemption. He moves in our lives. He moves within our circumstances according to whatever his will is. And so a Christian should not ever think that whatever happens to them is left to chance, it's left to fate, it's left to blind luck. I mean, I know we, we, we use a lot of that phraseology just because it's uh, common. I mean, you know, someone's going to try, attempt something, and what's the first thing we say? Hey, good luck. Well, you know what? It doesn't really have anything to do with luck. Um, there, there is no such thing as good luck or bad luck. There's no such thing as randomness. God is in control, and he allows things or he does things that move history and move our lives to their intended goal. And that's the thing, we're, we're all part of it. I, I don't want anyone to think that, well, I, I'm too insignificant, you know, I'm, I'm not talented enough and blah, blah, blah. Well, God's the one who gives you the gifts. And, and he wants to use you with those gifts to fulfill something, to move toward something. And that, that's everyone here, it doesn't matter how young you are, old you are, whatever in between you are, it, God has, if you're here on this earth, and all of us are, I think, and uh, he has a purpose for you here on this earth. And so I just want to look at the first two paragraphs of this chapter on the prayer sheet. Uh, there's attached, it has the paragraphs and then scriptures that I just want to touch on tonight. Um, 
And so this is just kind of the pathway of our discussion for tonight, but this is what it says. From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs without reference to anything outside himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things, and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. And then the next paragraph says, God knows everything that could happen under any given condition. However, his decree of anything is not based on foreseeing it in the future or foreseeing that it would occur under such uh, conditions. And so, yes, you know, there's a whole lot there. And then you, when you talk about God, who is eternal, and talking about his decree and his sovereignty and the way that he works in, in, in amongst humanity, we, we walk very carefully. We walk very humbly because our understanding and even our grasp of that which God has revealed about himself is so minimal. Yes, we have God's revelation of himself in Scripture, but this is in no way, shape, or form exhaustive of who he, he is. This is about all that humanity could take of who God is because he is eternal and we are not. And so we might not be able to fully grasp even the significance of everything that God has revealed about himself. Um, well, I think about, well, I guess it's two weeks ago now uh, that, um, you know, I spoke about the Trinity. Man, when you talk about the Trinity, you just walk very carefully on that path because you're treading into, you know, you don't want to tread into some weeds. You get too deep and can't get yourself out. You know, you get too lost in some of the, some of the details. Um, and, you know, Scripture talks about the Trinity, and yet it's like, yeah. And it, it really, with, with God's decrees, it's, it's a lot of the same thing. Now, as far as his decrees, we first note the fact that nothing, you know, nothing happens by chance, nothing, and nothing happens outside of God's power and will. There, there's nothing in the world that happens, there's nothing that happens in our lives where God says, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Whew, that's a new one on me. There's nothing that happens where, where God is taken by surprise, and there's nothing that happens where God says, I don't know what to do about that. Man, that's, uh, that's something. That's trouble. That's way out of my control. Or, you know, or, you know, what was it someone said a long time ago? You know, ooh, that's way above my pay grade. Yeah, God would never say that. One, there is no higher pay grade than God, right? But, um, you know, God, God doesn't say that. The biblical witness is that God has providential control by his decree over everything. And so, in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11, the prophet Isaiah records God's words as this. Remember what I accomplished in antiquity. Truly, I am God. I have no peer. I am God, and there is none like me who announces the end from the beginning and reveals beforehand what has not yet occurred, who says my plan will be realized. I will accomplish what I desire who summons an eagle from the east, from a distant land, one who carries out my plan. Yes, I have decreed. Yes, I will bring it to pass. 
I have formulated a plan. Yes, I will carry it out. God has a will. God has a purpose that he decrees within himself. God is not influenced by anything from the outside. There's nothing outside of him that could resist his plan or resist his will. And I think for the most part, most of us could get on board with with this. As long as it's talking about things that are good, thing, when things are going good. Okay, yeah, I can, get, I can get on board with that when things are going good. I can get on board with that when life is easy. I can get on board with that when God's decree is that I'm in comfort and ease and prosperity. But what about when things go bad? from our perspective. What if, you know, as we say, what if things go south? What if things take a turn for the worse? What about things that we just can't make sense of? What about things that we don't understand? You know what? We don't like God's whole being in charge and decree thing then. Especially because we realize we might not understand God as much as we think we do. We may not understand much of, about existence as we think we might. And so we have, to, we have to return to humbly have faith and trust in God's character and in, in his goodness, even in the bad times. As much as we do not like to think it, and don't start throwing tomatoes or books or whatever at me, um, but the trials and troubles that we go through are as much a part of God's decree as the mountaintop experiences. The valleys and the mountaintop experiences are all part of God's decrees. And we recognize that these are as much of God's perfectly wise, holy counsel as everything else. I mean, we might not understand God's purposes behind it. We might not even, you know, we, we, for some reason, we humans think that God owes us an answer. This is happening. Why? Why, God? You owe me an answer. Well, you think of Job. Job never got his answer to why. When God confronted Job, it was always about who God was and his sovereign power. I mean, here Job and all his friends are accusing God of this, that, and the other thing. And God's like, all right, gird your loins like a man. Get ready. This is who I am. Do, do you comprehend this? And Job ended up saying, yeah, I, I repent in dust and ashes. I, I spoke, and this is the Al translation. I had no idea what I was talking about. And we often do that. And Job was never given an explanation but he found a deeper understanding and appreciation of God from it. But if we're going to say that God you know, has eternally decreed the one, the good stuff, well, then we have to say that God has eternally decreed the other, don't we? I mean, that seems biblical, that seems logical. But that being said, the, the writers of the confession are very quick to answer what's going to be someone's biggest objection. Okay, you say God has this decree. Okay, if God has this decree, that makes him the author of sin because he allows, at minimum, you know, he allows sin to happen. But, you know, the rightly, I believe, those who wrote the confession say that God 
is able to act upon his decree in such a way that he is not the author of sin, nor does he have any sort of fellowship with the people who commit their sin. That's the clear message of Scripture. In James 1.13, James says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. John wrote in 1 John 1.5, This is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so we have to be very careful of attributing God of sin to saying, well, God, either God sinned or he caused someone to sin. But we also have to be careful of attributing to God, okay, how do I want to say this? Um, of accusing him of sin when what happened in itself is not sin. We might not like it. We might not understand it, but it's not sin. So what I'm thinking of in my, my mind is, okay, a natural disaster happens of some sort and someone dies in that natural disaster. Well, someone might argue, well, okay, if we're saying that was God's providential decree, well, God just by decree lets someone die. At minimum, at maximum, he killed someone. And from our perspective, we don't like it, and so we might call it sin. But the problem is, it's not a moral evil. God is judge, and he has our lives in his hand. And we're told in the Psalms that our lives are written out in the book. I mean, God already knows our beginning and our end. A natural disaster is not a moral evil. We don't like it. We don't like it when someone dies. You know, I'm thinking, I think of the fires in Maui and all that craziness. I, I, this morning, the last number I saw was 106, and it may have grown since then. That was just this morning. 106 people died in those fires. We don't like it. But it's not a moral evil. God decreed the natural disaster. He decreed the death of those 106 people. But God is the creator. He has the right and the power to do so. I know some of you are cringing. Some of you are ready to throw something at me. But wrestle with it. Before you throw anything with me, wrestle, get into Scripture and wrestle with it. And so this is where we come to the point of where we humbly trust God. God is able to take the bad stuff that happens and here's the thing, and this is, you know, said even within the, the, the paragraph that I read too. God is able to take the moral evil of a free creature and turn it around to bring about his perfect will. Because we think of Joseph. I mean, his brothers, in their sin and their wickedness, sold him into slavery. And yet God used that to bring about the fact that Jacob and the family would be able to come to Egypt and be saved from the famine, and then they would be put in place for kind of the next phase of God's plan for the Israelites. Or think about the most humbling example. Wicked, evil men arrested, beat, insulted, crucified, and killed our Savior. They did it. 
the Romans, the Jews, everyone. They did it. They're guilty of it. And yet it was God's decree, and God used it to bring about salvation for those who would believe. We see kind of that delicate balance in a prayer given by the apostles after they were released from the Sanhedrin. And they're praying to God, and they're just recognizing, they're praising God for who he is. And, you know, another that's not in there, you know, not in the, the sheet there, but one of the things that they say is, or what they say about what happened is that, you know, they, they counted it like a privilege that they, that they were arrested and insulted and persecuted for the name of Christ. They counted it a privilege. They, they thought they were blessed for that happening. But anyway, I, I digress. They, they see God's hand in that as well, but they see God's hand in in Jesus's death. So in Acts chapter four, verses 27 through 28, it says, for indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together in this city against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do as much as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. So on the one hand, we see Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Israelites, they all conspired together to kill Jesus. And they are guilty. They are guilty of it. And yet, at the same time, it was God's power and plan that he had decided beforehand that it would happen. How does that work? I don't know. That's the wonderful thing about God's eternalness. I mean, it's God's just able to do that. I mean, Jesus himself declared uh, to Pilate and all them in John 19, verse 11, he, he said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. You, you wouldn't be able to do to me what you're doing to me if God didn't decree it, if God hadn't allowed it. If it wasn't for God's decree to, for Jesus to be handed over, he wouldn't have been handed over. But then we might say or argue, well, okay, if God's decree is set and cannot be changed, why do we pray? And it's not just a matter of obedience, but God uses the prayers of his people to bring about what it is that he has decreed. Again, walking very carefully, knowing the eternal nature of God, the confession describes it as the fact that God's decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes, and prayer would be a second cause. So I think of the, the, I think of the story of King Hezekiah. I mean, he, he was for the most part pretty good, but he became, I mean, he was arrogant, got arrogant, but, you know, he became sick. And so God sends Isaiah to Hezekiah, all right, get your, get your affairs in order. You're, you're done. You're, you're going to die. Isaiah leaves. Hezekiah, you know, he, in his sickbed, he cries to the Lord in prayer. And God answers his prayer and gives Hezekiah another 15 years. So was God lying when he said Hezekiah would die? 
I'll let you chew on that just for one second. No, he was not lying. So does that mean God changed his mind? No. It was God's decree that through Hezekiah's prayer, Hezekiah would be given another 15 years of life. So you might try and get like um, real philosophical and say, well, okay, if Hezekiah didn't pray, would he have died? Well, the answer is that God decreed that Hezekiah would pray and be given 15 more years. I I don't know how else to explain it. I'm not eternal, so it's hard for me to (laughs) explain that. So did God force Hezekiah to pray? No. Because as it says, he doesn't go against the free will of his agents, but God is able to use the free actions of his creatures to bring about his decree. So did God know that Hezekiah would pray and did he base his decree on knowing what Hezekiah would do? Well, that's kind of a double-sided question, I guess, but I mean, yes, he knew Hezekiah would pray, but no, that did not influence God's decree because God's decree is not based on like what we would call foreknowledge. And it's not based on the influence of outside forces. The second paragraph tells us that it's not a matter of God looking down the corridor of time and seeing what would happen and then making the decision from there, right? It's not, it's not like God says, okay, I, I, I see a thousand years from now, this guy doing that, so because they're gonna do that, I'm gonna do this. That's not how God works because God's eternal nature, he's everywhere all at once, he just knows. He doesn't come to know, he just knows. God knows all things at all times and his decree is not based on what one what he knows or what he sees. It's based on the counsel of his own will. So, well, have, after saying all that, I don't know about you, I got a headache. This is giving me, this is giving me a headache, trying to figure out God and his decree. But, but here's kind of the practical side to it. Um, what it ought to do is it ought to cause us to look at our circumstances, both good and bad, and know that it's part of God's decree, therefore I can trust that God is moving me towards something. Even in the dire circumstances, God is you, you know, using it, whatever it is, moving his decree forward in some way, and there, there's a reason for it, we might not know what, but you know, it could be for our personal growth. It could be God is moving you so that you happen to be, not happen to be, that's definitely a bad term when talking about God's decree, but you are where God wants you to be because you need to have an effect on someone's life. And you wouldn't have been able to have that effect on someone's life if this didn't happen. So this is where the the verse we love to cling to comes in. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. And then right, right after that, God goes into all those great promises that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I mean, if we're in Christ, God is moving things for his glory, for our good, eventual good, And we even had this discussion in in the office today. We don't like to think about this, 
but our ultimate destination, our ultimate goal is heaven. It hasn't, you know, it's not here on this earth. We cling so much to the things of this earth. And we forget, you know, I, I did an entire series on 1 Peter, and the whole point of 1 Peter is, look, you are a pilgrim. You're just passing through. So while you're passing through, live like this, but you're moving on to something better. Amen. I mean, a whole lot better than, than, than this. But God's wonderful decree is at work while we're here on this earth and we're pilgrim, pilgrimaging. I don't even know if that's a word, but, you know, we're going through uh, th th this world. And God's wonderful decree is that if anyone is in Christ, they will forever be with Christ and nothing can change that. No one can take us out of God's hand. God has decreed that we are secure in Christ and we can rest in that. And, and our feelings, our circumstances will not ever change that fact. But God, you know, has decreed that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. I mean, he has decreed that Jesus Christ is the only way to satisfy God's just wrath against our sins. I mean, so those who have not believed in Jesus Christ, they're still facing God's justice. So per God's perfect decree, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you're lost and you need to believe and be saved and have life and be secure in Jesus Christ because that's what God has decreed. Here's the gift, receive the gift. If you have believed, may your faith be strong in him and may the fact that you are gonna be forever his be a comfort to you be, give you, may give you peace, may give you joy, may give you hope in whatever God has decreed is in your path. He is a good God. Not everything that happens to us is good. But he will work it all out for good in the long run. And so a lot, a lot of you are going through some stuff and just pray. Pray that you, you get this eternal perspective. Pray that you can cling to a God who is in complete control. I mean, yeah, your, your life might feel like it's a roller coaster and you're like, uh, you know, jump, bouncing back and forth and going all over, over the place. And you feel like you have lost all control of everything. Yes, you have, but God has not. And so trust in Him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.